A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Saboeth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devil's fill should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. A little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Uh, You know, I I think sometimes those get a little wordy. I get that. Uh, But they are... They're weighty, and and they're truthful. So as we look at this this morning, we we need to understand, let me just reiterate to you that this is is God's battle. We're in it. God is going to fight it for us, but we just have to stand the ground that God has given us in this matter of our spiritual warfare. We've come to this shield of faith. We've talked about the whole armor of God. We've talked about how we're able to resist in the evil day and how to stand. We are to be girded about with truth. And if we were to just kind of take a, if you say, well, Gary, just, just kind of condense that for me. It is a life of total commitment. The belt of truth, a life of total commitment. Living this life through the truth of the word of God. And as we talked about in our college class this morning, standing on your non-negotiables. They're just things in the Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, that are not to be compromised. And truth is one of them. Uh, We're living in a society where basically the definition of truth is what you say is truth. What may be true for you may not be true for me. But the fact of the matter is the Bible tells us what the truth is. And it says God's word is truth. Now, we're not talking about God's word here in this total commitment, but being totally committed, building our lives on that firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Okay? And then we we moved on. We talked about this breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is just holy living. It's a life of holiness. It's living right and doing right. And, and, And we put that on. And then we've talked about the shoes that are the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that just reminds us that, you know what? We have peace with God. We're not at war with God anymore. And we stand on that. But then he comes to this matter of the shield of faith. Now, there are basically two meanings that you'll find in the Bible. You'll, you'll hear faith mentioned a couple of times. But one of the, one of the um, references is found over in the book of Jude, where we are told to earnestly contend for the faith. This body of doctrine, this body of truth, we are to stand on that. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about that saving faith. That faith that we, when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we ask him to come into our hearts and lives as a savior, that faith, that faith that we live by, that Martin Luther so wrote about in this song. So let me just give you just real quickly so we can kind of kind of get this thing going. Um, here is Kenneth Weiss's. Um, definitions of um, the, the, the Greek New Testament word for faith. There are basically three of them. Uh, there's a verb, that is believe. There's a noun, that is faith. And, and noun is, the, is, the, um, is what's used here. And then faithfulness is an adjective. But they all mean the same thing, okay? So, when it's used to refer to the faith which a lost sinner must place in Jesus in order to be saved... Here are the ideas. Number one is the act 
of considering Jesus worthy of trust. When you, by faith, ask the Lord Jesus to become your Lord and Savior, you are putting your trust in him. He is worthy of our trust. The second thing is, it's an act of placing confidence in his ability to do what he says. We are saved because we trust Christ, but we are saved because we believe that he can do what he said he can do. We believe that he can save us. It's an act of trusting the salvation of your soul into the hands of Jesus. Not just a one-time thing, but I'm, just, I'm, placing my, I'm placing my eternal destiny in his hands. Okay, that's the kind of faith it's talking about. It's the act of committing the work of saving souls to the care of Jesus. Then, it is taking yourself out of your own keeping. Okay? Taking yourself out of your own keeping and entrusting the keeping of your life into the keeping of Jesus. Okay? He is able to keep us. He is able to save us. He is able to keep us saved. He is able to keep us until the end. That is the faith that's being mentioned here. Now, listen to me because I think something becomes very important here. Now, look what he says. Having put on the breastplate of ISIS, verse 15, having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now, look at this. And above all, above all. Now, when you read that, it would appear that um, Paul is saying this is the most important part of the armor. Above all, okay? Uh, here's why, look, I, hear, I thought this week, I, I, I wish, I wish that I had a Bible that translated the Greek and the Hebrew language as it specifically um, mean, or, or specific meaning as it deals with what those words meant and not what our English vocabulary says that they are. The fact of the matter is it would probably be stacked this, this high. So when we put on the shield of faith, which is, and then there have been those five things that I mentioned. So, so look, you've you got to be careful. You've got to understand when you're reading. When he says, above all, he's not saying this is more important than that. As a matter of fact, what he is saying is, because you see it in the whole text, there's not one place in here where he says one piece of armor is more important than the other one. But here's what you will find as you begin to go through. When he says, above all, to take this shield of faith, what he is saying is he is connecting everything that follows with it. Did you know when he says, when he says here, take up, taking up the shield of faith, it's almost a transition. It's almost saying, listen, this and this. Am I making sense yet? So it's almost like he's drawing a line down the middle and he's saying, yes, this is important. This is important. This is important. Above all, it's kind of saying, and on top of that. Okay, that would be a better translation. And on top of that, not above all, and on top of this, then you are to take the shield of faith. Um. So, so as we go through, I, I want to show you something here because this becomes extremely Extremely important in the understanding of the armor of God. The first three. The first three that he mentions here are things that once we put on, we must keep on. Okay? You say, well, we've got to keep all these other ones on too. Let me give you a great illustration. In football, there'll be a football game today, okay? Um. There will be guys playing on the field. The guys that are playing will not go out onto the field and play without their helmet, their chin straps, the right kind of shoes, their jerseys. They prepare themselves to go into the game. When they come off of the field, as most of the cases are, they'll take their helmet off and they'll lay it off to the side. And they'll take their mouthpiece out maybe and they'll stick it in their helmet or whatever it is they do with it now. But when it comes time to go on the field again, you know what? What do they do? They, they, they put it on. But here's the, here's, here's the idea. They don't take off their uniform. I mean, they don't take your uniform off when you go to the sideline. They just take their helmet off. Th think about baseball for a minute. 
here's a baseball player, and um, he's coming out of the field. He lays his glove down. He takes his cap off. He sits there. When it comes to his time to bat, what does he do? He gets up, puts his batting helmet on. He takes his bat, and he goes out to face that 98-mile-an-hour fastball. The, the point I'm trying to make is this. As we look at these articles that we are to put on, the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes are never taken off in the Christian life. Now, here's the deal. You know and I know that somewhere along the way, the battle really gets tough. There's coming a time when, when the battle gets tough. And I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you, and the devil is going to come running at you, and he's going to throw things at you, and you're, going to, you're not going to know and understand exactly how you're supposed to live through this. It's at those times that Paul would say, listen, you better not go into that battle without your shield. With, you know, carry the shield of faith and, and put on, the, put on the, the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit. When, when a Roman soldier would rest, they would be in the heat of the battle, they would rest. They would lay their shield down. They would lay their sword down. They would take their helmet off to cool off a little bit, get them a drink of water. But I'm going to tell you what, when they went back in the battle, they put all that back on. It's not saying that this one is more important than that one. But what it is saying is there must be some preparation up front to be able to withstand these wiles of the devil. You see, if you've got those first three articles on, then you're prepared for the battle. I mean, you are. But, but, but all of a sudden, sometimes when the enemy comes, it, 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 get, it gets real hot. It, it gets real, real difficult. And so we have this idea of we need to be totally committed. We need to live a life of holiness. And we need to be at peace with God. Okay, now, I thought about this this week. Some of you have been in the same kind of services I've been in. I even do it myself from here sometimes. Lots of times, especially when you go into meetings, there will be a time of rededication. Uh, as one guy said, some people have rededicated so much their dedicators broke out or, or broke down. But you know what? That's fine. If that's what you have to do, that's fine. But in a sense, in a sense when... The Lord or the pastor or, or, or the teacher says to us, hey, we need to have a time of recommitment. What they're basically saying is, we've got to get back to the basics. You have, you have somewhere along the way in your battle, you've either taken your belt off, you've taken your breastplate off, or you've taken your shoes off. And a rededication would be this idea of, hey, let's get everything back on that's supposed to be on. You're not supposed to take that off. You're supposed to wear that all the time as a believer, okay? Are we okay? And so, and so the idea comes that we are to, if you'll notice, we are to, um, above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Now, in the day in which Paul was writing, as he looked across at that Roman soldier, um, he had in mind a, and I think it's called a, 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 a therios, if I've got the word right. And that word means door. Okay, it's a word that really means door. And so, Paul, that's, that's why I say, listen, I, I, I wish sometimes they just put the word in there. Paul would say, take up the door of faith. Which really, at that point, distinguishes between the round um, Shields that they would wrap with leather and hold themselves up when they were close combat. Uh, th this was like a two and a half feet wide, four, four and a half feet high door, uh, pretty much. And, and they would, and you could get behind it. I, I was reading this week of um, of one Roman army that went out, and and as those sink, as those doors, as those shields linked together, there was a a wall that they had created almost a mile long. They would take those things, and, and as the enemy would advance, one of the things that they would do is that they would shoot arrows. 
And so the Roman soldiers would put those shields up there. They would do it in the front. They would do it on the sides. It would create kind of a rectangle. And then all the archers were on the inside or all the other shields were on the inside. And so they had these shields over their head. But the fact of the matter is, is that the enemy would shoot these arrows at them. Now, these things were made out of wood. Uh, some of them overlaid in, in um, uh, iron. Uh, some of them overlaid with um, leather that would be soaked in water so that when those arrows hit, they would either bounce off or they would be extinguished. Okay? Y- y'all, y'all with me so far? Pretty, pretty important piece of equipment to put up there when the devil's shooting everything at you. He calls them fiery darts. Now, the reason he does that is because uh, what the enemies would do to one another, they would take their arrows, and you've seen it in movies. They would take their arrows, they would wrap the ends with, with cloth or something like that, and then they would soak them in pitch. And then before they shot those arrows, they would set them on fire. And, and the idea wasn't so much the arrow hitting someone, but it was when that arrow hit it splattered that pitch, and fire went out, and anybody who was exposed or any wood that was exposed, any of that would catch on fire and burn up. It would burn a long time, but it would burn extremely hot. And so when Paul looks at that and says, man, you better take this shield of faith, because here's the, here's the, here's the, the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. It may not even be your battle. You may not be the one who's going through the fierceness of it, but if you're close enough, one of those eras, when it splatters, could get on you. And you could be damaged by that as well. You see, we're all kind of in this thing together. I think it's interesting that these, these, these shields were able to be linked together. And, and, and look, you say, well, why do I need to come to church? We're stronger together than, we're, than we ever are as individuals. One of, the, one of the things that I tell couples all the time, you will always be stronger together than you will ever be apart. You know, when God brings us together in marriage, we come together, and sometimes, you know, it's just like, uh, but the fact of the matter is, you will always be better together than you will ever be apart. Now, look at what he says. As we take up this whole armor of God, we're able to stand and we're able to grasp what it is to, to know how it is to stand and resist against the devil. Now, I've, I've talked to you about the picture just for a little bit. Talk to you about this matter of how faith stops arrows. How does your faith stop arrows? How does your faith secure victory? Well, here it is. Bottom line. If you, don't, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Faith is believing God. That's just it. Believing God. In everything, we are to believe God. Everything we hold to, everything we have, our, our confidence in, is believing God. The whole act of Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, is believing God. Believing He wrote the Bible. Believing that Christ is God. Believing that he died. Believing that he rose. Believing that he's coming. Believing that by believing, we can enter the kingdom of heaven. Habakkuk 2, 4. The just shall live by faith. Romans 1, 17. The just shall live by faith. Galatians 3, 11, The just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10. The just shall live by faith. What is faith? Faith is believing God. Living, believing God. Now, this faith must have something worth putting it in. Let me give you a great example. It's a guy by the name of John Payton, I believe is his name, who was um, a missionary to, to some of the South Sea Islands. One day, he was translating the Bible into the people's language. And he came to this word faith. And he began to realize that these people in their language didn't have a word for faith. And he just struggled and struggled and struggled. And he just could not come up with a great explanation or definition for faith. 
One day, as he was working on this translation, one of the natives came running in, had been running for a long time, came running in, ran into his office, flopped down in a chair, and here's what he said. It's good to put my whole weight on this chair. John Payton knew at the time how he was going to translate what this word faith is. Faith is putting your full weight on Jesus. Pretty simple. By the way, once he translated that, and once he got it across to those people what faith in Jesus is, almost the whole community became believers in Christ. Because what they wanted was, what does that mean? What does it mean, faith? It means putting your whole weight onto Jesus. It is believing God. And by believing God, every fiery dart that Satan ever shot will be deflected. Because, listen to me, every shot the devil fires is a lie. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is the originator of lies. Faith is believing God. Now, here's the problem when we sin. When we sin, we just don't believe God. So, so let's talk about this matter of faith for a minute. Let's talk about this matter of believing God for a second. And here it is. What, Gary, so what are the fiery darts? We'll talk about them in a minute. But there basically are temptations. The devil will, will bring something to you and make you believe that he knows more than God does. I, I appreciated so much one of the comments that was made this morning in our college class. I, I'm not going to call a name out because I don't want to embarrass her. But, but Emma Kate Marin said... Now, listen, listen, I'm telling you, the coolest thing I've said all day. We, we talked about the lies of the devil. What is one of the lies that the devil tells? What, you know, what, is, what, what are some of the lies he tells? She spoke right up and said, if you're a Christian, you can't ever have any fun. And I'm going to tell you something. She's exactly right. That's exactly what these young people are told. She hit it. She hit the nail on the head. That is exactly right. But it's a lie. Think about this for a moment. There in the Garden of Eden, the serpent comes to our first parents. And what does he say to her? What does he say to Eve? Has God really said? He created a doubt in her mind to the truthfulness of what God has said. Has God really said? And basically, here's what he said to her. God knows that on the day that you eat, you'll become wise and you'll know what good and evil is and you'll be like God. You know what he was saying to her? I know more than God knows. I know, I know how you can have abundant life. I know how you can have full knowledge. Believe me, don't believe him. He questioned, he he made her question what God said. And by the way, just to throw this out there, he kind of twisted a little bit too because she said when God approached them that he said that the devil said, we can't eat it or touch it. God never said anything to her about touching it. So so you got a half truth here. Believe me, believe God. Who's it going to be? The devil even did that to Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 4. You remember Jesus was sent out into the desert to be tempted of the devil. And he came to him. You remember after 40 days of fasting. Jesus is hungry. I mean, he is. He's hungry. Go without food for 40 days. And you know what? You'll understand what hunger is. So he's hungry. And the Bible, we know that the Bible says that when he had finished his temptations, then angels came and ministered unto him, okay? But until that point, they haven't. So so, so listen. So here's what the devil says to him. 
turn those stones into bread. Now, would there have been anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong? There are some people who say, well, he didn't turn into bread because it's, it's uh, sinful to eat bread. Well, if that's true, then most of us sinned this morning before we ever got here. I saw a breakfast back there this morning. If y'all ate that, you sinned this morning if you ate bread. That's not what it means. It had nothing to do with, listen, God can do whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it. God wants to perform a miracle. If he wants to turn stones into bread, he could have done it. It wasn't about the bread here, ladies and gentlemen. What about what he could do or what he couldn't do? It was about what God said. About what God had said. You remember he said to him, he said, listen, let me take you over here just for a minute. We're going to go into the temple for a few minutes. You're going to get yourself up on that pinnacle. You're going to dive off. And when you live, everybody's going, whoa, you're the Messiah. Just go and take what you've been promised. You don't have, you don't have to wait on God. You can do it yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. That's one of the big lies of the devil. Wait, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Waiting time is not wasted time. And if you're praying for something, and you're praying in God's will, and you just you, you know God's going to do that, and yet he hasn't done it yet, don't quit praying. But the devil comes to Jesus, and he says to him, listen, that's all yours anyway. You're, doesn't he say that every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess? How's that working out for you? If you'll just do what I say, then you know what? Everything's going to be fine. You'll have everything you want. The lies of the devil. And we buy into those. And, and, we, and, and we just, we embrace those things. And, and we believe the devil's lies. I tell our college students all the time um, don't listen to what you hear in your head all the time you know you, you can't rationalize some kind of sin if you're hearing it and um, you just say well you know everybody's doing it um, it's okay God's going to forgive you you're already for, you know, all those kind of things that we hear all of that stuff the fact of the matter is you cannot believe the things that you hear in your head See, it was temptation to distrust God, to not believe God, a temptation to take things into his own hands that Satan tempted Jesus with. Just take it into your own hands. You can do it. You're the Messiah. God promised you everything. Look at you. Hey, if you'll come to me, if you'll just believe me, then I'll give you what you want. I'll give you that satisfaction. I'll give you that joy. I'll give you that fun. You know what? The, listen, the Bible, the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin. It does. But you know what it says about it? For a season. For a season. It may be fun right now. But I'm going to tell you what. There's going to be a price to pay later. Here's what 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10 says. If you doubt God, you make him a liar. If you doubt God, you make him a liar. Is God a liar? Titus 1, 2, God who cannot lie. God isn't lying. Yet every time you sin, you're dumb enough to believe, I'm dumb enough to believe the lies that the devil is trying to tell me. And we buy into them. We get into them hook, line, and sinker. By the way, here's what James says. And everyone who is tempted... And he's tempted, not by the lust of the devil, but by his own lust. He is drawn away and, and he is enticed. The word enticed there is the word for bait. It's a fishing term. You, you, you jump the bait and you get it hook, line, and sinker. The, temp, the word temptation there is where we get our word thermometer, thumos. And it, it carries with this idea of heat. Temptations just don't come in little bitty things. All of a sudden, man, when it comes and it's coming hard, it comes like a flaming arrow. And you better have your shield of faith or you're going to get splattered with the pitch and you're going to get burned. 
Here's what God says. We believe Satan. We're suckered in again. Listen, oh, I, I know I ought to give this to the Lord. This is what I ought to give to the Lord. But, you know, I, 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 here's what I want. What are the lies of the devil? Let me give you some of the lies of the devil. I, and we've got just a few minutes. But I, I've gotten on this, and you'll hear a sermon about this later. Think about this for a moment. Last year, I preached a series of about three or four messages on giving. And I think the point that we made was this. If we give God of the first, okay, the first, God will bless the 90% more in his hands than you will ever be able to be blessed with 100% of it in your hands. Now, I believe that. My wife and I have practiced that for years. God has never failed in this area of when I give God what belongs to him. And he gives the rest of it to me. There's plenty left over when the time comes. We start thinking about all these things, all these bills. Hey, we got to pay this. I got to have this. I got to have that. Well, you know what? Just keep it. Because God's blessing is not on your 100%. God's blessing is on that 90% that, that, that he allows you to keep when you give him his part. And that 90%, I'm telling you, always goes farther than 100% if it's in your own hands. Here's another one. Here's the one I got on to this week. You ever thought about the Ten Commandments and how they just um, have this meaning that even stretches into the 21st century? Here's a good one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, here's what the devil's lie is. If you'll work one more day, if you put another day's work in, then you'll have a whole lot more. You, you, look, you, you, you know, you'll make an extra paycheck, and here's what we're doing. We are killing ourselves. Now, over in the book of Genesis and Exodus, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they gathered manna. I hadn't meant to go here, but I'm, I'm going to go, Okay. They gathered manna, and they gathered it for six days. They were only to get what they needed. But on the seventh day, God said, listen, don't gather on the seventh day. But you know what God had done? God made a provision for the seventh day. Okay? You don't have to go gather on the seventh day. You, You just get enough, and then you know what? You get enough on Saturday, on, on, on Friday, and it'll last you through Sunday. Do you know what happened to it when they gathered it on the Sabbath? They opened it up to eat, and there's worms in it. Now, think about that for a minute. Let's just take your work week. I'm talking about, We're talking about God's Ten Commandments. And by the way, he makes an explanation in that one because he knows that somewhere down the line, we're going to start trying to make excuses about why an extra day of work is going to help us. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not... The worms of wealth and materialism are going to eat you alive if that is your mentality. Over the book of Exodus, it talks about a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. And they took him out when they caught him and they stoned him. And it was kind of like they brought, they brought him before Moses. And Moses says, I don't know what to do about it. Yes, you do. God's already told you what to do about it. And the fact of the matter is, you say, well, man, if I work seven days a week, is God going to kill me? No. You're going to kill yourself before all said and done. You're going to wear yourself out. You're not going to have any energy. You're not going to have time for your family. Everything else is going to become important. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to die one of these days, an old man with no friends and no family. If you'll do it God's way, if you'll just believe God, God will prosper you more than you could ever imagine in six days than what you can do in seven.
It's just a truth. Faith is believing God. Listen, all we do is cheat ourselves. We're just cheating ourselves. God stands there with his arms open. He says, listen, do you ask me for bread? Will I give you a stone? Well, the answer to that is absolutely not. No. Do I want to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that you can't contain it? Do I want to give it back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over? Do I want to bless you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies? Do I want to do exceedingly, abundantly more than you can ever ask or think? Do I want to give you every good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of lights? Do I want to unload all of this substance of heaven all over you for as long as you live? Yes! That's what I want. Just believe me. And listen, when we quit believing God can do what he says he's going to do, then the supply is cut off. The devil says, do it my way. You're going to like it. I'll fulfill you. You'll gain. It's a lie. It's just a lie. Matter of fact, John 8, 44 says he is the father of lies. So here's basically what you're saying. Whenever you sin, you're just saying, I really don't believe God knows best. Just the way that it is. God wants to supply your need. Hey, I'm telling you, every one of you, every one of you sitting here, I promise you, if you're not careful, here's what will happen. You'll say amen. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen, brother, preach it. God wants to take care of you. You can believe God. God is true. Let God be true in every man life. Amen, preach it some more. And all of a sudden you show up for work and tomorrow morning. And they tell you, your job's been cut out. What's the first thing you do? Desperate. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. God, you know, I've, I've told this story about my grandfather. My grandfather always, man, I just can't wait to go to my heavenly home. When he got close to death, it scared the living daylights out of him. My mother's laughing. She knows it's true. My, all, my brothers and sisters will ask him. Scared the living day. I am ready to go. I just want to go. Oh, I got to get to the doctor. Listen to this. Proverbs eight thirty four. Happy is the man who hears my word and keeps it. Are you happy? Then you obey. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Here, here it is. Bradley, I, I want to call you and tell you this. One. Jeremiah preached for a whole generation and had zero converts. None. Think about that for a minute. None. That, that's a big zero. The Greek word for that is none. Didn't have one convert. But listen to what he said. Your words were found and I did eat them. And your word was in me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. He wasn't preaching for a crowd. He was preaching for an audience of one. Psalm 119 from beginning to end says how wonderful it is to obey the word of God. Revelation 1, 3. Happy is the man who reads and keeps it. 1 John 1, 4. I write these things unto you so that your joy may be full. It's believing God. Believing God. But then Satan comes along and says, don't believe God. He just pulls theirs back. He shoots them at you. So the only way, ladies and gentlemen, to quench the darts of Satan is to believe God. Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Who do you believe? Abraham believed God. 2 Corinthians one twenty four. By faith you stand. By believing God... You stand. It's the shield that causes us to stand. Faith in God. Believe God and you'll stand. Proverbs 30 and listen to verse 5. Listen to this. Every word of God is pure 
He is a shield unto those who put their trust in him. Don't add to his words lest he reprove you and you be found a liar. Just God said it. Just believe it. There's an old saying that a guy used to... um, uh, came out, we used to say it years ago. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. One old preacher said, no, it don't. It's settled whether you believe it or not. We look at this, and we talk about recommitment, and we talk about those fiery air, and we talk about all this kind of stuff. It kind of reminds me of a story I heard one time about a guy who came into church, rededicated himself every week, and he... Down on his knees praying, he would cry out loud, and people in the congregation would hear him, and here's what he would say. Oh, God, clean the cobwebs of sin out of my life. He'd go sit down. Next time he'd come back. Oh, God, clean the cobwebs of sin out of my life. Next week he'd come back in. Same thing, fall on his face, be squalling and crying. Oh, God, clean the cobwebs of sin out of my life. One old guy in the back got so tired of it. One Sunday, a guy came forward. Began to cry out, oh, God, please clean the cobwebs of sin out of my life. The man stood up in the back and got, God, don't do it. Kill the spider. Some of us need to kill some spiders, don't we? Just, just believe God. Goes back to everything in the Christian life, your relationship with God. It's deep down in your heart. If you love God and with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, if you believe that God is who He has claimed to be, if you believe all of God's promises that He gave you that are really true, then you're going not to sin. Those temptations aren't going to get to you. All of these things that God wants for us. All of the best that he wants for us. I'll give it to you. Just do it my way. Abraham. He said to Abraham in Genesis 15, 1. Abraham, don't be afraid. I am your shield. So, so in Genesis, the shield of faith is identified as God himself. Listen, our God is able to stand up to the arrows and to the flaming accusations of the devil. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Here's one I like in Proverbs. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Psalm 84. The Lord God is a shield. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say to you this morning, God's on your side. God's not trying to get you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you victory over Satan. He wants to give you victory over these temptations in your life. But you've got to believe him. You've got to do it his way. You've got to keep his word and obey it. So we're ready for the battle. We have the belt of commitment, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of confidence that God's on our side. Then when the battle begins, we grab the shield, we take it up, and it stops the fiery darts of temptation by trusting in God. Listen, there's no reason. There's no reason for you to lose a battle in your spiritual life. God has given you everything that you need to protect you. And even if some days our commitment falls off, even some days if our belt of truth, this truthfulness, this commitment, this holy life, even if it gets kind of marred and scarred, you know what? You've got that shield up there in front of you. It's all, and I thought about this. I thought about this. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will just kind of say something to you as you're coming. But I thought about we are doubly saved. And I've used this illustration before, okay? I've used this illustration before. So, Lee, come here just a minute. I've been wanting to pick this thing up since I've started preaching, so. 
All right, this is you. This is you, okay? When the Bible says that we are Christ, when we are in Christ, then we are in Christ and we become secure, okay? But the Bible says that we are in Christ in God. We are doubly safe. I'm in Christ, but I'm in God. We are, we're doubly safe. And so thank you. one of the things that God's given us is this knowledge of, listen, there's no way. There may be some times when the devil gets through and the attacks come. There's no way if you will stand in the truth and believe me that he can get to you and do any damage at all. Now, let me just say this. This was not a light shield. It was probably encased with, with lead or steel. And many times it had a steel uh, crest on it. I'm not telling you that the battle is not going to be fierce. I'm not telling you that it's not going to be tough. I'm not going to, be, I'm not going to tell you that the burden sometimes may get really heavy. There's this song, many of you know it, Through the Fire. And one of the things it says is he never promised that the cross wouldn't get heavy or the hill wouldn't be hard to climb. You take up that shield, you stay strong, you wait, and the Lord's going to send an answer. I want to end with, if you, if you have an opportunity sometimes to read prayers, I've got a book that, uh, a lady here in church gave me that she found, and um, it was D.L. Moody's sermons. And just all sewn together, all, you know, I mean, just an old, old, old book. The thing I enjoy sometimes more than any of that is to read his prayers. There's an old Puritan that prayed this prayer, and I'm going to end with this. I want you to listen to this. Here, here's the way we all need to learn how to pray. This old Puritan said, Oh, God. I bless thee that the issue of the battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. I thank thee that Calvary broke the dragon's head and I contend with a vanquished foe who with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. When I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, but who when bruised broke the devil's head. My soul with inward joy extols the mighty conqueror. Heal me, O God, of any wounds received in this great conflict. If I have gathered defilement, if my faith has suffered damage, if my hope is less than bright, if my love is not fervent, if, I, if some, creature, some creature comfort occupies my heart, if my soul sinks under the pressure of the fight, O thou whose every promise is balm, whose every touch is life, draw near to thy weary warrior. Refresh me, O Lord, that I may rise again to wage the strife and never tire till my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with thee that I may defy Satan Unbelief, the flesh, the world, with delight that comes not from a creature and which a creature cannot mar. O Lord, give me a draft or breath of the eternal fountain that lies in your immutable everlasting love. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall. My strength shall ever rest in the power of thy might. And my faith shall shield me from every temptation. You know Jesus? I mean, do you really know? Do you know him like that? Well, the fact of the matter is, the Bible says you can. You can know him in a very personal way because he's a very personal God. So if you're here this morning, you've never been saved. Let me just say to you... Um, just consider it. I just want you to consider it. I, I, I can't talk you into anything that that's not that God's not leading you to do.
But I can throw an invitation out there that says, listen, if, if, if you've never been saved and you want to be, then you know what? You can be. If there is desire in your heart to be saved, then you know what? You can be saved. You may be here this morning and you are losing the battle. I get it. I mean, I get it. I'm just going to ask you this morning where you are here. I'm going to ask you just to recommit, put on that armor, put that armor back on that's been taken off, that you've taken off. Um, just obey. Just put your faith and trust in him. Believe him. You may be here this morning and the Bible tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And you've been looking for a church home and you know that you need to be involved in the church somewhere. God may be leading you here to do that. Just obey. Believe God. If you're here and you've been saved, you've never made it public. You've never gone through the baptismal waters. You know what? Just do it. Just do it. Um, Pretty simple. And yet I'm telling you, that's extremely tough. I sent that message out this week to somebody very close to me about resting, taking a day off. Matter of fact, I sent it to two or three people. The text I got back was, boy, that's good stuff. That's going to be hard to do. Well, yeah. Absolutely. But the question is, you're going to believe God or not? And if you're not, listen, if you're not going to believe God, then you're believing the devil. That's just fact. That's fact. He said, well, I don't believe the devil. Well, yes, you do. You've allowed him to tell you everything's okay when everything's not okay. And you know it's not. But believing Jesus, believing Jesus ain't easy. Won't be a struggle. But I promise you, when the onslaught of the enemy comes and the dust of the battle settles, you'll still be standing. Father, we thank you today for this time you've given us to open your word. We thank you for this time that you have just spoken to us. You have taught us in your word. God, thank you so much for the people that you bring into my life and the books and, and, and the ideas and, 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 and knowing Knowing that these men have been with you, not just for hours, but for years and years and years. They have mined the nuggets of gold so that we can be blessed by them. Thank you for the minds that you give us to understand. To take things and logically fit them together so that they can become a blessing to those who are around us. Father, you know each and every heart here. We know that the Holy Spirit is already active, working in the hearts of these people. Father, I just pray this morning that whatever it is the Holy Spirit is saying to them, that their response will be today, I will believe God. Father, we know that you're going to do a miracle in people's lives. We know that you're going to grow people spiritually. You know, We know that you're going to disciple people in your word because they have obeyed you. Father, this is our time of obedience. Whatever it is, We pray, Heavenly Father, that your people may respond right now.